Man, I'm so, uh, so excited about uh, what God is doing uh, in the life of our church. If you've been around uh, for at least the past couple of weeks, uh, you may be uh, cognizant, man, I hope so, that uh, we had been um, uh, leaning into last Sunday being Baptism Sunday. Uh, that we call people to take this step, uh, expressing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and uh, uniting with him in his death, burial, and resurrection through uh, the waters of baptism. And uh, many of you have been praying, and and, uh, we saw uh, two individuals, uh, two young ladies, uh, Willow and Sophia, respond uh, last week uh, during the course of our second service. It was really kind of cool, totally... um, Without using air quotes, it was a God thing uh, in the sense that uh, we, we were uh, baptizing Willow and we were speaking about the whole deal about baptism and taking this step. And um, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was reaching right into Sophia's heart and it was tugging at her. And I know that some of you have had that same experience where you were uh, kind of feeling like, man, I know I need to do this. And Sophia was sharing with me. Uh, uh, right, I came off the platform, and, and, and she's talking to me. She's like, man, I, you know, I had been talking to God several other times when uh, baptism was offered, and I kept, I kept finding a reason to not let go. Some of you have experienced that. You held on to the, the seat back. You kind of like, I want to do this. I want to do this. You didn't. And she told me, she said, and so I told God after three times, one more time, and I'm not going to pass up that opportunity. So at the end of the service, uh, we, we baptized Sophia, and, and she, uh, it was like she told me, she goes, my heart is pounding. I know that this is what God is calling me to. And I just want to say to you, it doesn't have to be Baptism Sunday. Uh, you can respond to the Lord anytime. The water's warm seven days a week, uh, and we want to help you uh, in this journey. Choosing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, we're all about transforming lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Anything else that we do is kind of just like, I don't know, whipped cream on the top. But we've come together to experience what God wants for us. And I'm so grateful that you're here together. There was an art teacher who had uh, her class of young students, and and they were all working diligently on a little project that she had given them. She said that you can draw a picture of anything you want. She noticed as she walked past the desk of this young uh, boy that uh, he's drawing something that that, uh, looked kind of strange, a little peculiar, and she could not make out what it was. And she said, what are you drawing? And the little boy said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And, of course, the teacher was like, huh, well, that's, that's interesting. Nobody's ever seen God. How can you draw a picture of God? And the little boy, unfazed, responded and said, if you wait a few minutes, you'll see exactly what he looks like. <laughs> you know, we all have this perception. We've got an image of what God looks like. It might be based off of perhaps this ongoing felt need in your life. And so you conjure up a picture uh, of what God looks like. Some of you, maybe uh, your picture of God is something that you had been taught uh, for a long time or maybe a long time ago about God's nature, about his character. And so that has influenced your thinking and it has created this picture of what God looks like. 
Some of you, uh, your picture of God is, is completely reflective of his answers to your prayers. You know, in, in her book, OMG, How Children See God, Monica Parker uh, was uh, asking kids and, and helping parents discuss who God is and to make sure that they get a biblical picture and an accurate description of God's power and his abilities. And so she was uh, challenging kids just to come up with their pictures of God. And Gabby, this nine-year-old student, she said that she views God as this bearded guy with really big ears. Because he hears everything that we say. Now, maybe, maybe you have uh, an image of God a lot like Gabby's. Or maybe your image of God is something completely different. It doesn't matter. Because um, whatever perception that you have of God, I just want you to know this, is that your view of God matters. Therefore, it's important for us to make sure that we have an accurate idea and an accurate description of who God is based on his word. And that's where we're going to land today as we move through and kind of wrap up this uh, series that we've been working on for the past six weeks. It's all about the Exodus, the story of the God who saves I'm so grateful to hear from from you uh, week in and week out talk about, man, I'm so glad that we've been running through the story of the Exodus. Uh, chances are most of us, especially if we've been in church for any length of time, uh, we're familiar with some of the stories that are contained in the Exodus. Remember, we talk about Moses, and he's there in front of this burning bush. We, we explore the, the nature of God as he reveals himself, and he destroys the, the, the worthless gods that the Egyptian people follow. Uh, and as he, as he brings on these ten plagues, we see the power of God displayed through uh, separating the waters, the Red Sea. And so many of you have said, uh, you know what, I had either never seen that before, maybe this little nugget that's just dropped into parts of the scripture, or maybe you kind of think, I kind of forgot about that, and it's just so cool uh, to, to lean in to God's word. It just, it just reminds me uh, of what it tells us. Scripture is living and active, and that it breathes life into us, and it divides soul and spirit. And, and the word of God is never, never going to return void. And so we want to be a church, and we want to be a people that trust in the word of God. And we've been learning about the story of the Israelite people being freed from a land of captivity over 3,000 years ago is still your story and my story today. Uh, this idea that the people of God were foreigners in a strange land and that uh, though they experienced suffering and hardship, God notices and he moves and he responds and he sent someone to deliver them. 
And in doing so, uh, he leads them to the promised land. Last week, I hope you either watched it or you were here, but John showed us that really the climax of the, of the uh, Exodus story is all about the fact that we see the presence of God coming to dwell with his people. God's not just flexing his muscles and showing his power. He's not some distant God that's off somewhere else, just leaving us up to our own little measures. Instead, God is a God who is a loving redeemer. He calls his people to himself, and he makes a covenant with us. Made a covenant with his people, and that there at the Mount Sinai, that he would make everything new. That's the promise that he still makes to you and to me today. That through Jesus Christ, we have the gift and the promise and the hope of everything new because of the one who has come and his name is Jesus Christ. But the tension throughout all of scripture is whether or not people will take God at his word. Or if we will try to just do life on our own terms. Man, I hope you've been tracking with us. And you've been reading on your own through the book of Exodus. Because we're not capturing all of the events. We're kind of (laughs) telling John last week. It's as if we're taking a stone and we're skipping it across the lake. And it's just, we're just hitting a couple of important pieces, but we need to be reading God's word, each one of us, and letting God's word speak to us and that we can grow in an understanding. You know, more than likely, every one of us is at least familiar with, if not the term, at least some of the substance of the Ten Commandments. These are the laws that God gave to his people. Uh, Of the ten, the first four are all about man's relationship with God. Uh, The last six are all about man's relationship with one another. And the first time that we see these ten commandments is in Exodus chapter 20. I was reminded that the first time that the ten commandments were given to the people, they were spoken by God, not given to them on a tablet. God spoke from the top of the mountain. Remember last week, if you were here, this whole idea that the mountain is filled with thunder and lightning. There is a cloud that covers the mountain. There is the trumpet blasts that are blowing. The fury of God is there on display. And he speaks and he gives the people below his Ten Commandments. And in that moment, the people respond in fear. And I'm like, whoa. You know what, Moses, from now on, why don't you talk to God and why don't you bring to us what he says? Because if we hear from God, we surely will die. And so Moses travels back up to the mountain at this point, and he's going to receive all of the Lord's commands. But he leaves his brother Aaron down at the camp with the rest of the people. And at the end of chapter 24, if you look there, right at the tail end, you notice that Moses is on this mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long time, month and a half. And as he's there, Moses is having a mountaintop experience for sure. 
He's receiving words of instruction from the Lord. God's giving him, if you'll see through about 10 chapters, that God is giving him instructions about the tabernacle or the dwelling place for by which God would be with his people. And he's giving all of these instructions about what it would mean and, and how they were to approach God and what articles that they would bring in to use as part of their worship of God. But at the bottom of the mountain, the Israelites, they're growing restless. And so grab your Bible and let's open it up to Exodus chapter 32. We're just going to hang out in Exodus 32 this morning. I want you to see that there in Exodus 32, um, that uh, Moses uh, and, and God are at the top of the mountain, but down at the bottom of the mountain, all kinds of chaos is breaking out. So let's begin at verse 1. We're going to read through six verses here. We're just going to kind of like uh, read through them, uh, and you can follow along. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. People got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, on the surface, it feels like the people have given up on the God who liberated them. They seem to be done. I mean, sure, they saw his power, Uh, They had been delivered by his hand. But now the people, uh, they're caught up in fear, anxiety. I mean, this God that they've been following, he's just so unpredictable. They're certain that uh, they have no idea that they know where he's taking them. And and they're struggling with how to trust, how to follow, and how to, to worship this God that they cannot see, they do not understand, and there is no way that they can control him. So growing impatient, they tell Aaron, make for us a God that we can worship, that we can follow, that we can see, that will lead us. Now remember, these people, they've been in Egypt. Their people, their ancestors have been in Egypt for 400 years. And Egypt had uh, hundreds of gods. And in the Egyptian pantheon, there was a god that kind of ruled over or was responsible for all kinds of aspects of their life and of creation. And so they've got all of these gods, and so they would build these idols to represent every one of these gods. 
And so the image of the idol would basically define what the God is. Think about this for a minute. Up to this point, Moses served as their representative of the one true living God. And and perhaps this idol that they're requesting of Aaron is meant to replace Moses. In one sense, they're thinking to themselves, you know what? He's probably dead. He went up to that mountain. Last time that we saw God show up on the mountain, I mean, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was like all of this noise. There was definitely an incredible display of power. Moses hasn't been seen for 40 days or 40 nights. I think he probably ticked off that God and his life is over. I mean, if there's no Moses, is there still a God? Now, I think it's kind of interesting that in this story, we know going back to the whole burning bush scene, that Moses um, has his brother Aaron as his sidekick, if you will. Kind of, he's the mouthpiece. Remember, Moses is like, man, I'm not good at speaking in front of people. I kind of have, you know, a little bit of a struggle uh, making sure that my words uh, get expressed correctly. And God said, no worries, Aaron will be your mouthpiece. And so uh, through the whole deal of the ten plagues and crossing the Red Sea, and now it's been about, I don't know, a month and a half, two months, and, and they're at the base of the mountain. And none of the people see Aaron as the leader that Moses was. Just in our world. If leader number one disappears, whether they pass away, whether they move on to another company, whether or not they just all of a sudden they exist no more, who typically rises up in their place? Leader number two. It would make sense. You know what? Uh, The CEO is gone. Uh, who was it that was like his understudy? Who was it that was, knows everything that he knows? And so it would make sense that if Moses is out of the picture, that Aaron would be the next leader. I find it interesting that the people do not say to Aaron, Aaron, tell us what to do. Instead, you know what they do? Aaron, we're going to tell you what to do. Huge difference in a perception of who God is. And now that Moses is gone, they're looking for somebody or something to fill in that void. You know, in, in the sense of looking for something, uh, they build this golden calf. Chances are you're familiar with the story even before we read it today. But, but if not, the big question is, why a golden calf? Number one, first, they, the request is made from Aaron to grab all the earrings from all of the people. And if you look back and if you really remember the story, before the Israelites left Egypt on the night of the 10th plague, God had basically gifted the Israelite people through the Egyptians a whole bunch of articles of value, i.e. gold and silver. A lot of the gold that these 
the Israelites would have had in their ears would have been gifts that they had received from the Egyptians, but really they had received from the Lord. How many times do we take things that God has given us and we turn around and we use it for a purpose that God never intended? And so Moses, in his absence, Aaron is now there and he builds or he crafts this golden calf. But, But why a calf? You know, coming from Egypt, there was a god by the name of Apis who basically represented strength and prosperity, even fertility. As a point of reference, I just want you to think, what do you think of when you see this picture? You know what that is, don't you? That's the bull on Wall Street in New York City. What does it represent? It represents strength, power, prosperity, even fertility. The idea is that for most people, this bull is a symbol of the American God, money, power, and success. You know, the same thing that makes the bull this potent symbol to us, to our retirement, is also what it made what made it a symbol for the ancient peoples. You see, in Egypt, the god of wealth and prosperity, it was represented by a bull. In Canaan and throughout the Middle East, at this time, the bull was a symbol for the god Baal. In your scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, you will hear the name Baal quite often. It is a god of power, wealth, prosperity, and fertility. It was thought that, that these, these figures, if you would, these gods would guarantee fertile fields, fertile herds, and even fertile families. You see, the gods of the ancient world were gods that you could manipulate to get what you wanted. If you would just offer them the right sacrifices, you will have, you'll have a large crop. You'll have a large family. And in the Middle East, there was nothing more more desirable than a large family. But what the Israelites needed to understand is that God is not something to be used. God is someone to be known. And that statement right there needs to be written down by every one of us. We need to put it somewhere where we are reminded on a daily basis that God is not something to be used. But God is someone to be known. How many times has our prayer life sounded as if we thought that God was something to be used? Instead, he's inviting us to know him. He is a personal God. But even even if this golden calf, in, in their mistaken theology... Even if the golden calf is intended to be a representation of God, God still forbids it. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5, we see these words. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. 
You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God forbids all of the idols that we hope to construct in our lives because nothing, hear me, nothing in creation can be a representation of God. Remember, God is real. He is active. He is alive. And idols are none of the above. So have you constructed a few representatives of God that ends up defining who your God is? Yeah, you, you may be a follower of Jesus. You may be a devout worshiper of God. But the question is, is there a specific style of music that you need to get in the right spirit of worship? Where your representation of God is basically formed in a style of music. Or maybe is there a specific version of the Bible that you need in order for you to clearly understand who God is. Many of us grew up in a day when the dress code was all about defining who our God was and what he expected. You see, the Lord clearly forbids constructing an image out of anything in an attempt to define him. Because when we do, we end up limiting God. And we end up elevating our representation of God over God. But he is to be worshipped and he forbids any kind of idol to be built. You see, the Israelites' sin was that they defined God by their desires rather than accepting God as he is. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image. In Exodus chapter 32, man says, let us make God. And we continue to do it today. You see, God, God has this very clear image of what he wants in this relationship with his children. And his children continue to struggle with taking God at his word and trusting in him and understanding that there are no other gods before him or like him. And so the people are down at the bottom of the mountain. They're growing weary. They're impatient. And they ask Aaron to build this other God. God is completely aware of it. And he tells Moses at the top of the mountain after these 40 days, you need to go down to the bottom of the mountain and clean house. And so in his anger about their disobedience and rebellion, we pick up the story in verse 19. And here's what we see. When they came, and talking about Moses and his aide Joshua, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf in the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground. These are the Ten Commandments. He's smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and he demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, Well, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and... 
Out came this calf. These people are just like us. Are they not? You know, when we're in the midst of the trials and when we're in the midst of of panic and when we're in the midst of trying to figure out uh, how to make ends meet, uh, where God is trying to take us, we do the exact same thing. We construct idols of money, of sex, and of power, and of success. We believe that many of these things are going to provide the security, the stability, and the certainty. Because for some reason, we haven't received that yet from God. Or at least we think we haven't. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all this other stuff that you're chasing after and that you feel like you need is so important. If you seek the kingdom of God first. All this other stuff, you'll receive it. It'll work itself out, and you will find it in its proper place. So as we leave the Exodus story, I've just got two questions for you. We're going to touch on these pretty quick. What idols have I built because I cannot see, understand, or control God? Write this question down and make sure that you spend some time in in God's, just his word, but in some alone time with him. You might need to have a conversation with the person across the table at lunch today. What idols have we built because we can't see, we can't understand, and we just can't control God? We've learned that God's way is rarely the easy way. But God will never leave you on your own. You see, for the Israelites, he made a way where there was no way. Now, only God was able to save them. And he made a way for you and for me. Only Jesus is able to save you and I. Now, some of you need to choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For the very first time, you need to call out to him. You need to place your faith in him. Accept his sacrifice on the cross was payment for your sin. Be united with him in baptism. Choose to recognize that he alone is the God who saves you. The second question I want you to consider is this. How have my idols replaced God in my life? Again, we may have some idols that represent God or we think that we need in order for us to connect to God. But how have these idols actually replaced God in our life? Maybe the question that that helps us with this is, where do I place my trust? What's at the source of my worship? Many of us need to really consider whether or not our kids have been elevated to a place where we idolize them over the God who gave them to us. You see, God invited the Israelites into a relationship with him. And he was giving their life meaning that nothing else could provide. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me into this same story. Will you trust him? Will you obey him completely? You have no other gods before me, he said. Don't construct anything to try to represent me. Uh, I am... 
a jealous God, he says. And he loves us fervently, deeply, unashamedly. He wants to be our God. He wants to be your God. Worship him and worship him only. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we seek the Lord above all else. You know, God, we we pray. We pray, Lord, that um, we trust who you are and what it is that you've done. God, I pray that uh, that um, we'll recognize those those things, those items uh, in our life that we have elevated above you. These false gods, in some cases, idols meant to represent you. Lord, I pray that we trust in your power, we trust in your will, and we trust in your saving grace. And we recognize that that you are more than enough. You are all. God, thank you for loving us. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. And let's stand and let's, let's, let's worship the one true living God as we, as we close in our time this morning.